Rob Williams, the Time Lord, back in the starting lineup, but it was the Grant variety of Williamses that flourished in this particular game. <laughs> a little dicey towards the end there, Al saved us with a clutch three. All of that next on First to the Floor. It's going to be first to the floor here, and it was Marcus Smart as he usually is. That's not the first time we've seen a superstar in Green and White sacrifice my body. Hey, hey, welcome into the First of the Floor show. Ben Vallis here. Thank you for joining us. Hope you're doing well. Things are getting back to normal. The crazy Christmas slash New Year's time vacuum is over and behind us. The Celtics are winning again, although only just. <laughs> joining us on this one, Wayne Spoony. Spoons, how you doing, sir? Doing good, Ben. Yeah, you know, six and four in our last 10. Perfectly acceptable. You know, mm-hmm. we keep that up. We'll be a top three seed for the rest of the season. So, you know, life's pretty good, even though, yeah, it's a little, little scary there. Yes, yeah. <laughs> could, could be a lot worse, as we yeah, almost just right. saw. <laughs> and of course, also with us, the man with the mistress, Jake Eisenberg. Jake, <laughs> how are you, mate? I wasn't sure if you're going mistress or mustache. I've, I've got a, I've grown a Christmas mustache as well. I love um, it. Yeah, doing good. Doing good. The mistress is all steam ahead at the, as well, so... Yeah, absolutely. Some some clutch blockery uh, to to end the game there and some effective offensive rebounds. Uh, I'm doing well. Like I said, just getting into the swing of things, actually have time to watch games, analyze them, write notes about them during them now, as opposed to like watching secretly on my phone under the Christmas (laughs) family table. So things are getting back to normal. Guys, let's just get right into it here. This was the fourth and final regular season matchup between the Bulls and the Celtics, who are now two and two on the season uh, each. 107-99 107-99 was the final score there. Like I said, a little dicey towards the end there. Al mm. Horford saved us with a very, very clutch three. And then an emotive Tatum on the breakaway dunk fouled by Caruso to, to really put this one away. Spoonie, we'll start with you. What were your main takeaways from this game overall? How did the Celtics end up winning this game, broadly speaking? So I, I think we should probably just talk about that fourth quarter, right? Because mm-hmm. it saw it's sort of in one way is a a common trope in Celtics fandom that the Celtics blow a fourth quarter lead. Uh, Mm. Luckily, they didn't lose, but I think you can look at it that way. But unlike a lot of our blown fourth quarter leads, I actually really liked how they were playing in that fourth quarter, especially when Tatum came back in um, around seven minutes. Uh, The ball was moving. They were getting open shots. They just, the mistress, especially Derek White, missed a handful of wide open threes that even one of those goes down. I think it just changes the complexion of the game. And we're not talking about being worried at all. Um, So liked how we played. The effort was there. Multiple offensive rebound efforts. And uh, defensively, like sometimes there's just nothing you can do against a guy like Zach Levine when he's like, on fire, white hot, you know, the center, the core of the earth. So it it was just kind of shooting luck that went against us and it looked bad and it looked scary. But ultimately, I don't think there's anything negative to take away from that fourth quarter. Yeah, I agree. I thought they, the process was fine in the fourth quarter. Yeah. Um, we just cannot hit open threes to save our lives. Like I felt like Grant Williams hit a lot of threes, but even he was three for nine. Um, and one of those that was really clutched was like the rim backboard and then back in even the Horford clutch one. Like we can't just get a straight splash to save our lives. Um, yeah, that's the takeaway for me. Like the whole game, I was like, if someone can just hit like those punish threes where you get a stop, you're on a bit of a run and it was, it was, you know, the wide open threes just were not falling. And it was from, from everybody, whether it was Jalen, Derek, Grant. Um, no, no, no one could knock it down. Eventually, we're going to get back to like hitting a normal amount of threes and we're going to be winning these games by like 15 points. Like that, it was, don't want to make it that simple, but, um, early in the game, it was like, I really loved the ball movement. People were attacking, driving kick. Um, they'll, they'll fall eventually. Yeah, I suppose the the positive takeaway there is like as many of these types of games where starting to have under our belt these games where we can't hit 
any threes at all. We're, we're starting to get a nice little backlog of them that we find a way to win anyway. Mm. And it was a little dicey there, there in that little stretch where we went home, we lost twice to the Magic and the Pacers and all of that. But now we're starting to sort of um, find our way again in terms of winning by getting to the rim. The Celtics really operated out of the mid-range in this particular game as well. They were very effective in that short mid to, to mid-range uh, space as well. But finding ways to win despite the three going down. And yet something that we hear all the time, Spoonie, is... The Celtics are generating good looks from beyond the arc, which I, I would agree with, but we're continually not hitting those shots at a high clip. Like it's been a long stretch now of us, sure, generating those shots, not hitting them. To what degree do we need to begin accepting that maybe teams are beginning to allow us those shots, given that we're hitting them at such a low clip? Yeah, I, I don't know. Um, I, I do think when Vooch is on the court, we you can't let him off the hook and take the first three that looks decent. Tatum did that a couple times. Um, but you just, if you put Vooch in multiple actions and instead of taking that first open three off the initial drive and kick, have multiple drives and kicks, Vooch is going to spin around like a top man. And eventually you're just going to get a layup because he just can't guard in space in that way. So I don't know if teams are intentionally letting us, they're probably letting some of our players shoot open threes. Like I think they're clearly helping off of Derek White now. Um, Al to a lesser extent. And I think teams think they can shade off Grant Williams and get over to him and contest. So they don't have to play him super tight and that hurts the spacing as well. So I, I certainly think teams are not five alarm fire every time we get a wide open three anymore. Mm -hmm. That's for sure. Um, but God, eventually they're going to start going again. I mean, we're not going to shoot. We shot 28% from three this game. You know, that would be like all time terrible. So it'll come back. Yeah, we just need like two of these extra to fall per game to get us still below league average. But we're playing so well on both ends, which I'm sure we'll get to as well with the defense. Um, that then these, these wins are going to turn into not stress ball Ben um, in the corner. <laughs> And, um, sweating. sweating. I am sweating right now, but for other <laughs> so uh, well-documented yeah. reasons. <laughs> it's um, very hot. And here. they're going to be more comfortable um, eventually. Yeah, because I, I think process over results. Brad Stevens and S. Yeah, you mentioned the, the defense, and I want to get to that in a second because it was obviously a, a crucial part in how the Celtics came away with this game. Sticking with the offense and particularly the fourth quarter there, you, you may have touched on it briefly there, Spoonie. Jalen Brown... Like a real sort of duality of man uh, mm. uh, performance here in this one where he had that first to the floor, hashtag first to the floor, uh, defense against Zach Levine, dived on the ball, um, forced a turnover, obviously. Uh, we scored off, off of that, um, that turnover, but then very uh, mind-numbingly poor mid-range attempts in isolation in Ooh. critical moments to close the game uh, that almost cost us the game. One of them led to a Vucevic uh, three-point attempt that went in. Um, Jake, what were your thoughts on, on JB late in the game in this one? Um, there was a play late. I think it was after one of those mid-range attempts and um, the possession afterwards, Grant had the ball and Jalen was definitely open and Grant looked him off and looked for Tatum and it was definitely the right decision. <laughs> um, and, and Tatum didn't take the shot. I think that he that was the, may have been the play that he found, found Al in the corner for the, for the clutch bucket, right? Um, he was just forcing it, forcing it, forcing it, forcing it. Uh, and they were talking about the mid-range, mid-range game, him, DeMar, um, the comparison, like Jalen, well-documented, 53% on mid-range this year. Um, he was forcing that shot because the threes weren't going, it felt like. Um, seven for 21 from the floor. Mm -hmm. He was good at getting to the rim at times. I think I would, I don't know if he hit any mid-range. Those all seven buckets may have been at the rim today. Um. Nothing was going down. Maybe one, but like not not many. And then and then he locked down his free throws as well, which kind of like saved him. Um defensively, there was a little backdoor cut that he missed as well. Um but that play that 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 was a clutch defensive play on Levine, which he almost ruined by sticking his hand out as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Spoonie, any thoughts there? Yeah, and uh, Jalen, no, nobody else on the team had more than two turnovers. Jalen had four, mm. so it was kind of a bizarre game for him. But I also think the rim pressure, and he, he uh, roasted Vucevic in the pick and roll a few times. 
was pretty valuable. He hit a couple, uh, at least one clutch layup with like five or six minutes left. That was was huge. So sort of a weird game. I don't want to knock him too much because two of those threes go, and I thought all of his threes were good shots, except bar maybe one. But they were open. I think most of them were catch and shoot. Yeah. Two of those go. He's nine of twenty-one for twenty-five points. Or, you know, forty-ish percent shooting. Like we're just talking. I think we're probably talking yeah. about it a little differently. So I don't want to kill him too bad. But yeah, those two mid-range jumpers uh, with like three, four minutes left were almost unforgivable. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is just that's like all the bad stuff we talk about the Celtics crunch time offense boiled down into two plays. Six turnovers in the last game, four in this one, like you said, and some very questionable decision-making down the stretch and not an unfamiliar trait when it comes to JB. I don't want to knock him too hard because he did have some nice moments, particularly earlier in the game, and he had some some clutch moments in the fourth as well, but early both Jays were going pretty hard at Vucevic out of the pick and roll there and having some success getting to the rim. Their rim finishing Per cleaning the glass, I don't know the the tab open right now was was very efficient in this game, but um, <laughs> the 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 room efficiency was very efficient. Thank you. Yeah. Um, Analysis, the, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the amount at which they they went to that look though was unfortunately very low, but they were like I said able to operate very efficiently out of the mid range. Should we switch to the defense, guys? I think we've sort of covered offensively the flavor of this game. Defensively, drop coverage. The Celts were chasing guys, fighting through screens early in this game, which sort of nullified the advantages that the Bulls would otherwise get out of that drop coverage from the Celtics early in the game. Then second quarter, third quarter, very lackluster. The Bulls starting to get some good looks in the mid-range and some with Vooch down low um, as a result of that coverage from us. I thought Rob Williams was really effective in those defensive looks because he's like one of like one, maybe two people in the league who can basically jump out out of drop and block the uh, the perimeter attacker there. Jake, what were your thoughts on the defensive performance <laughs> from the Celtics? Uh, I can't wait to talk about Rob. Um, he's just, it doesn't matter what scheme you're playing. It's like, I wonder what, if they should go to drop. Should they switch? It's like, you can look like the smartest coach in the world if you've got Rob Williams out there because it's like, oh. Genius going to drop today against, you know, the DeMar DeRozan. It's like, yeah, we've got the this, the nine-foot arms of Robert Williams contesting everything. Um, the defense I thought was really good. And there were moments, sure, throughout the game where um, I thought they were getting beat off the dribble. Um, Progden, I think, is sneakily gets beaten off the dribble a lot more than um, you would like. Kobe White got him, got him late. Um, but overall, I thought the defense was great. Um, didn't feel like I feel like Vooch usually kills us on the offensive boards. Um, I, I don't. He did, I have to I'm just gonna check now, but he didn't kill us really offensively um, on the offensive rebounds. How many did he have? Um, he had twelve. One offensive rebound, exactly right. So, and that's the Rob Williams effect as well. And I think that's again another underrated thing that Rob brings to the table is not just like how good he is on the switches and how good he is in the drop, um, but the rebounding is absurd um, on both ends. He's just snatching these balls out of midair. Um, but then the, bull, the Bulls coming into today, like they've been, they've been much better as of late, like over oh, the yeah. last, over the last 10 games, um, they have the fourth best offense in the league. And I know DeMar DeRozan went out early, um, but once he went out, Zach Levine turned into like um, Donovan Mitchell from, from this season, right? Like he was, he was hitting absolutely everything contested deep. Um, and I thought they did a good job of gang rebounding. Um, forcing those difficult shots. Like, it didn't feel like they were getting a lot easy. Um, It was just tough shot making. Yeah, I thought we did a really good job of limiting how many shots DeRozan could even get up. Because he only took nine shots in 23 minutes. And usually when we play the Bulls, yeah, we run that drop coverage. And it's like all-you-can-eat buffet for DeRozan. Mm. He just gets up like 22 mid-range jump shots and makes 18 of them if or 20 it feels like he makes all 22 sometimes when you're watching him but so the fact he only got off nine shots when he was playing and then yeah when he goes out obviously that's gonna hurt them but yeah jake to your point i mean if Levine (laughs) doesn't make two of those absolutely absurd threes we're giving up 93 points like that's a pretty incredible defensive effort and uh there were maybe a 
a handful of shots where I was like, I cannot believe the Bulls missed that. One of which that Io DeSumo layup in like the second oh. quarter. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he just biffed. Like, I mean, he, nobody was near him. But really, I didn't think like, wow, we are getting really lucky. They're just missing open shots. I thought we did a really good job contesting. And it is hilarious watching people pull up from three when Rob is guarding yeah. them and it, he, they're like, I have enough time to get this off. And then as they're in their motion, he just gets so high up. It's, it's you know, crazy. He may not get it, but yeah. he affects the shot, the air ball, it clangs off the backboard. I mean, it's just ridiculous how good he is on the defensive end, man. And he's gotten so smart in his like understanding of spacing and where he needs to be to stick with his guy and also be there for help. It's like, he's a different person from when he was a rookie or second year. Like he was unplayable almost in his second year. And here he is just like changing the game without scoring. And it, that's just like a very few number of guys in NBA history who can do that. Yeah, yeah no, absolutely. Yeah. And then contrast that to the three minutes and eight seconds of Luke Cornett that we got on this one. <laughs> oh, where that's, I think that's when I wrote down on my run sheet here, like drop coverage is a problem for the Celtics. This is going to be a big deal in the playoffs. And then like Rob comes back and even out to some degree and Grant, who was great uh, on screens as well. Um, and suddenly it's way less of a concern. But there's a reason, you know, sometimes we criticize Joe Mazzola with his rotations and his timeouts and whatnot, but limiting Luke Cornett to three minutes and eight seconds uh, was a solid move, in my opinion. Uh, Jake, should we get to the centers? Obviously, Rob Williams starting in this game was a big story going in, although it was Grant Williams who came away with the the Williams Cup, if you will. Uh, (laughs) I thought the distribution of minutes was really healthy. I liked the duration of the stints of Rob Williams in terms of keeping them quite short and just sort of like peppering him in, for lack of a better term, throughout the game and not allowing him to get overly fatigued at any point. And then to have Al Horford like fill in the gaps in those instances where Rob has to rest is a, a recipe for success, you would say. So what were your thoughts? I know it meant a lot to you going into this one, how Rob <laughs> Yes. Yeah, Z Gamer in the chat, he he got on me before the game. It's like, Jake's going to have a heart attack when the first time Rob plays more than like yeah. <laughs> 25 minutes. Um, well, thank, 23 minutes. So we didn't we didn't quite get there today. And that's what you, we, you know, everybody was clamoring. Jason Tatum was clamoring. Jalen Brown mm. was clamoring. Let's get Rob in the starting lineup. We want to play with Rob. Celtics Twitter and humans in general rarely get a consensus on anything, but everybody can agree that Rob is like the chosen one. Like name your, like your fictional character, Gohan from Dragon Ball Z, Avatar, (laughs) The Last Airbender, Neo, like this hidden power that like once they harness it and unlock it, like the world is saved. Um, And it's pretty, it's pretty clear that if Rob's ever able to get to like, 30 minutes a night that he's like one of the most impactful players in the, in the league. I don't know how you can kind of watch him and not think that even like just small stuff um, like free throw shooting. Um, and he's like above up to like 73% on the year. Sneakily was 89% in the playoffs last year. It's like one of my favorite stats was like, I don't know who, I don't care who's shooting free throws. I think Rob, I trust more than anyone right now. Like he just kind of has everything um, to come into the game. He finally started. Rejoice, Celtics fandom around the world. Um, but it's like, it's not, it doesn't really matter who starts, everybody. Like, it's how many minutes are you playing? Who's closing? Um, and because he started, I don't know if that's why he wasn't able to close, but he was at the 23-minute threshold. I don't think he's gone past 23 minutes yet. Um, that's what we're kind of waiting to see. So, and, and, and I'm not, it's hard to say, is it a knee thing? Is it a, is it a fitness thing? Because he plays at such a frenetic frantic high energy pace like he's launching into the you know he has to run an extra eight feet on each possession because he's flying into the bench to try and block a three or he's like flying you know to get an offensive rebound like he's just everywhere so he plays at a really high you know high activity rate so um it's fatigue is it you know saving him from himself it's hard to say but i'm happy with the current plan like we have to be we have to be playoff alphas we can't be regular season betas and be like, oh, we need, let's get him in the lineup. We need 30 minutes of Rob. This isn't, this isn't what we currently have. This version of Rob probably gets an extra two or three minutes. Plenty of Rob in order for us to like maintain a top three seat at worst. 
Yeah, uh, my, my cat is absolutely <laughs> on one right now, going at me. So it's every ounce of professionalism. Credit to me for keeping it together <laughs> well and <done>. still participating. <laughs> Rob is missing less than one shot per game. It He's missed seven shots this season. <laughs> Doesn't he have um, more blocks than misses as well in the yeah, second half of the yes. season? It's wild. <laughs> and he had know. one miss tonight and two blocks. So yeah. he's yes. That this is the getting sad. wider. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, he's just uh, he's just so fun. I I named this the post for this podcast "Joy to the Lord" because I'm just so happy he's back. Um, I mean, Ben, how are you? Give me your thoughts on Rob, dude. Come on, how how's it feel? Well, I often talk about my neuroses as it pertains to the Celtics on this podcast and in my everyday life to anyone who will listen. And Rob is just such a soothing balm on the on the rash of drop coverages of, of Bulls game past. So to have him out there and for it to be that comforting to me, imagine how soothing and comforting it is for the rest of the Celtics, coaching staff, front office, players, etc. He just makes such a difference. And we touched on it earlier, how he's able to make such a difference without ever even really touching the ball or putting up a shot attempt, just his positioning on the court. It was the, the first look of the game, one of the first looks of the game, the first one when he finished a, a, a uh, an oop from Al Horford. The big second big one, lobs are back. Oh, so yeah. good. Double bigs are back, baby. Second one, <laughs> he set a, uh, a screen on the wing for Tatum, and then Rob's roll to the hoop just opened up like yes. an infinite chasm of space for Tatum to just splash <laughs> a wide-open mid-range uh, bucket and that was just like the first couple of possessions of the game and then it was all downhill from there so uh, love having the time lord back love the the soothing balm that he is in all of our lives and uh, <laughs> as far as the minutes like I like the plan like keep it sub 25 you know we want to yeah. see 48 minutes of like not 48 minutes really we want to see a lot of minutes of, of Rob because we yeah. enjoy the product the on-court product but what's more enjoyable is the playoff on-court product and we've got a way better chance of getting there healthily if we can limit his minutes from, you know, around the 25-minute mark, maybe ramp him up as we get towards the end there. So from yeah. a conditioning standpoint, he's there. But for now, I see no need to, to rush it all. So long answer to your question, Spoonie. Soothed. Soothed. Soothed like bomb. <laughs> In a word. Is, what, is Ben? <laughs> um, yeah. And I think the maybe bomb they- lord. Oh, yeah, they bomb lord. Yeah, the soothe lord. Um, they They- you know, maybe as they get in, it's like maybe that it's not necessarily ramping him so he's playing 28, 29, 30 every night, but it's like, can we test it one in three games where he's playing high 20s into the 30 mark just to just to test? And like, I'm sure they've talked about all of these options. Like, clearly they're hyper aware of how important mm -hmm. Rob is and how um, there's no there's no reason to, to rush him um, into that upper limit of minutes. But yeah. Um, Baby steps. It's just like um, when Piccolo took Gohan um, when Raditz was taking over um, planet Earth for all the Dragon Ball Z guys after there. <laughs> that one's a little over my head, Spoonie. Did that, did that hit with you? Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I'm a, I know who the characters are. I watched some DBZ, but uh, I, I could not give you the plots other than like Frieza on the planet or whatever. But yeah. Gotcha. I'm sure yeah, someone yeah. out there will hit me up and oh, be like, sure. they got that one. <laughs> I was too busy playing StarCraft in the early 2000s. Um, Same. <laughs> nice. Jason Tatum, let's move on to the individual performances here. Per Sean Grande, most points ever by a Celtic in the first half of a season, ever, ever, ever in the history of the Celtics uh, with 1,197. John Havlicek is second with 1,193. He came out hot early, finished with a pretty sexy stat line, 32 points. A steal, seven assists, eight rebounds, and just one turnover with a plus 14. And sort of that game deciding and one finish to end the game with the, uh, you called it in our chat, Spoonie, this the outlet of frustration towards the end of the game there. Tell me what your thoughts on Jason Tatum were in this one and why he may have been so frustrated when it came to the end of the game there. Yeah, I just, so let me just say Tatum has its faults. Tonight was just about a perfect Jason Tatum game. Mm. The the decision making was almost flawless. I don't think I can remember a game at least recently where it seemed like every time first of all he hit the paint all night long. He absolutely lived in the paint and he made the right play basically every time he was there whether it was going for the shot, taking a floater, getting all the way there and trying to finish or, and much more importantly, 
kicking out to an open shooter um, or kicking out to somebody who was open so they could keep the offense moving. It just seemed like every time he touched the ball, the offense was moving great. And I think the frustration of what I was getting at was, one, it's really annoying seeing like Zach Levine claw his team back on these ridiculous shots that you know are like 25 you know, one in four, maybe at best to go down. Mm-hmm. And Tatum was also getting double teamed, right? So he, it, it, it probably feels pretty helpless when you're constantly getting doubled in the fourth quarter and you've just got to pass the ball and you're watching your teammates miss wide open shots that you're generating for them. I don't mean that in a derogatory way, but it's probably like, oh my God, I, I we're creating these wide open shots and missing. And then on the other end, Zach Levine's throwing in like basically running hook shots that he's laughing about afterwards because <laughs> he knows how much of a prayer that was to go in. So I just think when he got that breakaway d- Bless you, oh, breakaway dunk. That's good timing. Yeah. That's <laughs> the breakaway dunk, he let out the primal scream, just like my primal cough right there. And it, he just seemed very relieved. Yeah, I I did not enjoy the fact that Caruso went for the ball on that one, just on the side there. There was like, there was no way he was going to stop him at at best. You know, he was going to get the the two points, but he got the and one as well. Um, and Caruso should know better because that's how he broke his hand on a play like that. But totally. um, he the way I would describe Tatum today and over the last few games, especially, has just been precise. And I think yeah, that speaks to his decision making. He's purposeful. He's attacking quickly. Um. Like he's not over yet. Like half his shots at threes, eight, you know, free throw attempts, the seven assists. If anyone could hit a shot, it would be another like close to another triple double again. Um, it, it's like what we were talking about when we compared him to all the other MVPs. It was just like there's a, there was a, it was a no weakness game. He did everything. Um, he the defense as well. I think I'm trying to remember who he got the kind of steal on, um, which led to um, a fast break on the other end. But it's escaping me. But um, it was a it was a superstar game. It was an MVP game, two way Tatum. That's you know that's what makes him so great. It's just the all around superstar um, that he's become. All aspects: three you know, rim, kickouts, free throw attempts, four from eleven from three. Um, it's too much to ask for him to go forty percent. He has to, has to live around thirty percent these days. Um, but yeah, just just doing it all. Yeah, precision is such a good word for it. And it's precision that is so specific to this team and this roster. Like there's precision and making the right basketball play in a general sense, no matter what team you're playing for. And then there's this precision that you refer to, Jake, where it's like not just the roster, but who's got it going on a particular night. And we saw it with JB not hitting some of those wide open three-point attempts early in the game. And then JT looking for looks elsewhere, just within the vacuum of one game. His knowledge of the roster top to bottom and how to orchestrate it such to pull out a victory, even when all those threes aren't going down, is really, really solid. And you know, for a 24-year-old you know, potential MVP, um, we're in a good spot here, guys. I've got to say it. I'll take it. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. <laughs> yeah, yeah we've, got, we've got an MVP candidate. We're the one seed. We've got the freaking chosen one on the team. It's, uh, it's, it's a right. good time. It's all good. Yeah, yeah. 2023 is <laughs> off to a good start. Grant Williams, who we have to yes. talk about it. And I guess uh, talking about that precision, that level of precision and connectiveness with the other guys, like what Grant, compared to Jalen Brown, what Grant Williams lacks in talent, he makes up for in all of the fundamentals, right? And sometimes a game like this leads me to question which is the more desirable from a winning standpoint, from a fan standpoint. Obviously, unquestionably, Jalen Brown is more talented. But when Grant is firing on all cylinders like this and being the grantiest Grant he can be, like <laughs> I kind of love him more. Spoon, am I wrong for feeling that way? Oh, man, I don't know, Ben. Uh, hey, don't invalidate uh, Ben's feelings. He can, hey, he can no, feel no, whatever no, you no, want. Hey. Invalidate away. Invalidate away. <laughs> no, you can, you can certainly Ask feel my wife. that way. I'm used to it. <laughs> <laughs> but um, what Jalen is asked to do is just so much more difficult than what Grant's asked to do. So when Grant pops up for 20 points, we're singing his praises, and then we're talking about how bad Jalen was, and had, he had 19. You know what I mean? Fair. Like It's just the expectations are just so wildly different, but I don't want to take anything away from Grant who shot his kind of, um, he, he really hasn't had it recently shooting 25% from three in the last five games, but I think he's played some of his best basketball recently. He just seems really in control, uh, when he's attacking the paint and 
He's finishing through contact mm-hmm. a lot. I think he had a nice post up tonight, which I always am asking for more Grant post ups because that's what he was a beast on the block at Tennessee. He he can post people up and pass out of it a little bit. So I just really love the way he's playing on the offensive end, and he's always going to be a good defender now, like now. Um, so yeah, he was he was great, man. I'm really happy. And then if he starts really finding the shot again and gets back up towards forty percent regularly. What a player, dude. Yeah, he's a superstar role player when he's having nights like this. And yeah, and that's on a night where he was three for nine from three when we know he can have games like game seven against Milwaukee where he just goes absolutely bananas from, from three. Um, two things that I liked the most um, today, and one of them is kind of a trend, is that the complaining to the refs thing has gone away. Um, like, pr- like, not fully, like he wants, but like, you can tell that it's it's something that people have spoken to him about um, and that he's seen. He's he's really held back on the ref thing, which is kind of an aside to the to the play. But he had two really quick trigger threes today. Um, one of which I think that went in. Um, the other one that that didn't. But like that's I think and, and I think he's finding that because I was like he, he doesn't he doesn't he didn't have a naturally super quick three point shot last year. Like he was just kind of figuring out what the shot actually looked like. Um, and I, I think I've throughout the season, he's been trying to find the balance between when do I close out? When do I shoot? Because it's kind of felt like he's, he's held back on, on some of the, some wide open threes where he just needs to go up. Um, and to see him take some re- honestly pretty tightly contested, contested one tonight, um, and look really confident doing it. That's like, that's probably like the next piece, um, mm-hmm. for Grant. Like, um, he's the, the stuff in the preseason that we saw with like the, the fake handoffs and driving the closeouts and some post-up stuff more off the dribble, um, just doing more than purely being three and D. Um, we've, we, he's definitely, you know, doing that on a really consistent basis now. Um, so the next step, yeah, to just be really confident to like, cause it, that's a good shot at any time. Um, it's just those quick fire corner threes, especially like when they're coming off ball movement. There's one other name I want to get to very quickly, and that is Malcolm Brogdon. And we've got the, the foremost, the world-leading expert mm. in Malcolm Brogdon here with ah. us on the podcast, yeah. Wayne Spoonie, who, uh, whose yes, article sir. on Celtics blog, if you haven't read it, is well worth a read. It's Malcolm in the middle, Brogdon's uh, fit in Boston. <laughs> so, Spoonie, I guess I ask you to comment on Brogdon's performance in this game as a continuation from what you've got here in your article. What did you think from, from Brogdon in this particular game? Yeah, I, I thought it kind of played out... Um, in what I what I one of my main premises in that article is that we should be limiting the amount of time Brogdon and Jalen play without Jason Tatum on the court. And it really felt like that played out tonight where Brogdon came in. It was, you know, Tatum, Brogdon, and Brown were out there. They got like an eight, nine point lead, and then Tatum came out and it was just Brogdon Brown. And then all of a sudden it was a two point game. So uh they just don't particularly complement each other and that's not to say they're bad players or anything like that it, you know it not every player is going to complement other players perfectly right and these two guys really seemingly don't the numbers bear that out so i thought tonight was some more evidence of that but i can probably i could see um joe's thinking like you need these guys to play well together as z gamer tries to take full credit i was like do i, do I bring <laughs> this okay. comment up or not <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, oh, sorry. Yeah. that's fine no he uh he and i talked about actually he brought the uh brogdon brown struggles to my attention probably i mean a month ago at this mm-hmm. point and i was like that's interesting i'm not noticed it i'll keep my eye on it um, and we've been talking about it for a couple weeks now. And then I finally felt like I had enough evidence to write something about it. So that's where it came up. It's not all bad, though. I mean, Brogdon, I thought he was he thought he was generally pretty too really good tonight. Um, he had a couple big shots. He had that crazy tip in off the mm, yeah. one of the weirdest plays I've ever seen. What was that? Four offensive rebounds or something like that on that tip in in the fourth quarter. Um I thought he did a better job of moving the ball and not monopolizing the offense as well. So, you know, he, he missed a few shots, but I, I liked what I saw from Brogdon. I'm starting to feel like I'm trending towards the, I'm not sold on Malcolm Hill, like, um, which is interesting. But yeah, I think the, he had another one of them tonight. It was right after the DeSumo, um missed layup. He had one right back the other way. 
where he blew the, blew the layup. I think we just spoke about it in another pod. It's like he gets himself into trouble sometimes and then forces it when it's like we have so many good players. Like you've collapsed the paint. Let's just move it and the next and like the defense has been, you know, bent bent already. Like you can get down. Someone else can get downhill from here. Um the defense, I want I want more from from him on that end. And maybe that's unfair. Like my idea and what I'd seen from Brogdon defensively previously um, isn't quite living up to my expectations so far, but that could just be like, that's been the player that he's been for a while. Um, so yeah, if he's not like three for nine, like, I thought he was fine tonight. Um, and he made that obviously that, that clutch play. Um, but I want, I want kind of a bit more of like a sturdier, reliable, consistent presence from Brogdon where I feel like we're getting a little bit more of a yo-yo um, with Brogdon right now. Yeah. That's kind of, that's kind of where I'm at there at the moment. Yeah. I test watching him, particularly in the first half, I was thinking the hustles back at least, like he at least seems a little bit more dialed in from an energy standpoint, which I know, you know X's and O's people are going to take nothing from that, but he <laughs> just, he just felt a little bit more like he cared about like the team that he was playing for, I suppose. But he finished the game a minus 17. And I know, you know, single game plus minus, like people like to turn their nose up at that. But in a game that we won by, what, eight, and we've got like plus 20s from Jalen, who had some poor moments in this game, plus 21s from Derek White, like a minus 17 from a guy whose role is as significant as Malcolm Brogdon's and in only 22 minutes, that is pretty telling. Is is it time to readjust our expectations about who Malcolm Brogdon is as a player? Um Think about it. If if I gave you in a vacuum a 22-minute point guard averaging 10, 4, and 4 on pretty good efficiency, like you'd be like, hey, that's a great bench player. Hmm. But it just seems like, and I'm I'm just as guilty as this as anybody. I'm I'm legitimately asking the question. Um, like I keep expecting, like, well, he'll just figure it out. And all of a sudden, he's going to be averaging like 18 on and be hyper efficient. So, um, I don't know. Do we want to adjust our our expectations with who he is as a player? Or as Eric Weiss is dropping in the chat mm-hmm. that he's pacing himself so he can stay a bit healthy. Do you guys think it's that, or is he just a, in a different part of his career? He's 30. He's had a lot of injuries. I mean, it's not out of que- the question. Well, it's like physically, he looks good to me. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, like like his explosion looks good. But yeah, like maybe like, you know, that's part of it too, is he's he's used to playing starter minutes. And, you know, if he does miss some miss some shots early, he's able to kind of find that later in a game. Um versus now, you know, he gets his two, you know, pretty, you know, sizable stints. And if he, you know, is cold from there or has a couple of turnovers and like the Malcolm Brogdon experience for that game is gonna be kind of tainted a little bit. Um, I do wonder if he's on a similar program to Robin that way. Like it's a good mm-hmm. point from Eric. It's like he rarely gets above the 24 minute mark. Um, and you, you did speak about um, how Derek White and how defenses are starting to leave him open. You know, when you get into the playoffs and teams are like really keyed in on that, like coming in, coming into the season with Malcolm Brogdon being added to the team, I was like, my one of my favorite lineups was, you know, Derek, Marcus, Jalen, Jason, and Rob. Um, but now we get to add Brogdon to it. And that's like a, a plus plus shooter. Um, I still think that's true. Um, so I think having that option in the playoffs is, is really important. So like, you know, maybe in the playoffs, those minutes start to go up and, and that's where his value, um, you know, is really, is really shown. And so, you know, it makes sense. Um, yeah. He's had, you know, medical issues all the way back to the draft um, from Eric again there. Like that's why he fell. Um, and we've seen it all the way through his career. So keeping him on this plan is is obviously smart, um, but also partly why I'm more willing to include Brogdon in a trade than Derek White. Yeah, interesting. Okay, uh, I wasn't ready to talk about him through the lens of a trade. I don't know if oh, I no, can, I will, can take myself there yet. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, well, yeah, yeah. I had like a. I, I think I'm taking t- a tiny bit of credit for Grant Williams' performance because I also included Grant in my trade, and so <laughs> I think he probably saw that and was like, "This." Guy out of you. Get a dunk on this dude yeah. talking to my dad. Come yeah, I know. On. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> talking to my dad and then wants yeah. to trade me. Ridiculous. <laughs> Only I might talk about my dad. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> as far as expectations for Brogdon, I think like those expectations were set, like coming out of not winning the finals and then trying to understand what pieces were needed to get over the hump if we were to get back there. 
and then Brogdon, th- that acquisition felt like it addressed that. And so to see him not live up to that specific expectation is still difficult to take on, I think, as a fan. So yeah, <laughs> Spoonie, I think you're right maybe to, to begin to readjust expectations, at least with what Eric's saying in the chat here, as far as maintaining his health or preserving his health heading, heading into the postseason. That's probably an important thing to point out and to keep in mind next time we see him go minus 21 in a game that we won by by eight points. Any other individual performances that you guys want to touch on? I think we've almost touched on everyone who saw the court, aside from Peyton Pritchard and Sam Hauser. I will say on Hauser, I think he's poised for a comeback. The shot's looking good. The volume isn't there, so we're not like we're not seeing a lot of it. I think he's poised. He was, uh, I think, a minus twenty, minus twelve in this game. Um, So not a great performance there. But I, I don't feel like he's being. Yeah, he looked fine. I don't think he's being burnt really defensively at all. If anything, I think his defense is steadily improving, at least on an isolation basis. Joe brought in Hauser, Cornette, and Pritchard oh, at yeah. the same yeah. time. Head scratcher. It's like <laughs> these guys are all fine if you bring in them in one at a time with our good players. With all the right? other really amazing players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. But bringing all three of them, what is this, a G League game, Joe? What are yeah. you doing, man? <laughs> that was just bizarre. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, want, I, I want Joe to tinker more. That's like something that maybe we're going to get to. Today is like I would like to see Joe play around a bit more, like you know, moving Brogdon in and out, of, maybe not out of, into the starting lineup. But um, I know Spoonie on Twitter, you were saying maybe we flip the Jalen Jason like early rest thing, um, which he did tonight. Yeah, actually, so, Jalen came out first. Yeah, okay, well, so parts of the tinker, I guess I can't, I can, we can't be like we want him to do yeah. stuff, tinker, but not but that, not way, that, Joe. Not, <laughs> no, no, not that button. <laughs> True. <laughs> yeah. Um, nah, I mean, Horford clutch, man. I mean, like, what do you have? Eight, seven, and five stealing a block? Like, he's just, ah. And, and today, seeing the starting lineup back with Rob and Al in it, and then Jalen Jason. I know it was Derek and not Marcus, but uh, another 90s cartoon reference, but like the, you know, Ninja Turtles when Splinter was a, ch- you know, a grown up and he brought the Ninja Turtles in and then it flips and he turns yeah. into Master Splinter. It's, I'm going <laughs> to, I was actually working on. I couldn't find the meme. I'm going to post it on Twitter. It's like my favorite thing ever um, to see him evolve into like this um, stretch four slash five um, throwing alley-oops to Rob and just like just adapting in any way that is necessary. Um, It's just beautiful. God, I want to see Horford hoist that championship trophy. More than anyone else on the team, aside from maybe Marcus Smart and Brad Stevens being out there on the floor as well. (laughs) Way ahead of ourselves. But to move on, and we're going to roll downhill here to finish because we, like always, have gone over time talking about the game. (laughs) Let's talk about the standings very quickly, if you can see this minuscule tab that I've opened up here. (laughs) Celtics, (laughs) I'll read it for you. 29 and 12. Uh, they've gone seven and three in their last ten, and m- most importantly, they're one point five games up on the Brooklyn Nets. And some mm. news there, according to Dave McMenamin, and then like everyone who was watching the game, uh, Katie is injured. Uh, the story there is um, no, sorry, I'm I'm conflating two tweets. We'll get to the other tweet in a second. Katie, <laughs> I think it was Woj who who tweeted out yeah. after the initial two week timeline that they're now looking at potentially a month of outage for for Kevin Durant there. Unsure of the follow-up question, like the obvious one is like, is this impactful to the Celtics? Obviously it is. The Nets, who are nipping at our heels, their best player is out and is likely going to be out for the two upcoming matchups against uh, us. Um, I suppose, like, are you... I I want to be careful how I choose my words here. Obviously, we're not happy that anyone's injured. Are we relieved, Spoonie, that we might be able to sort of get a little bit of wiggle room between us and, and the Nets here as a result of this? And do you think... Like, how much does that influence the two upcoming matchups, given that the Celtics tend to play down to oppositions where key players are missing? I, I really hope that that OKC game has beat some sense into them mm-hmm. about playing down to their opposition. So far, it looks so good, but... Um, I don't know, the Spurs on. game? <laughs> yeah, but... <laughs> That was that was just a strange game I, I on agree. the road at I the agree. end of a long road trip. I'm not. Then they they won. They didn't get beat by 40 like against OKC. You know what I mean? So uh, the Spurs are, are uh, spicy. Obviously, KD being out is for if you're just looking from a seeding standpoint. Um, you know, there's an opportunity here for the Celtics to make up some ground. I uh, against my better judgment, really like KD and still 
um, despite <laughs> all the goofy stuff he's done. He's just incredible to watch, very unique player. So it, it kind of stinks, but also, you know, if you can build up a nice little cushion while he's out and then you can kind of cruise for a month or two and then ramp back up in April on your way into the playoffs. Yeah, it's a tricky position as a fan. Like, obviously, when KD goes down, you're like, well, if KD gets injured, that's good for the... Like, it, it's just objectively good for the Celtics. It's just like a weird ethic, ethical feeling you have in your body. Because, like, at the same time, this has been an, an unreal season for the superstars of the league. Like, this top five, top six of, like, KD, Tatum, Giannis, Jokic, Embiid, Luka... I'm probably like, I'm, I think I'm probably, I'm probably missing someone, but like that six are just on a completely ridiculous level this year. And so to have that top six, like all, like every night's like, oh my God, KD had 44 on 24 shots. So Tatum had a 30 point triple double. It's just like every night, one of these guys is doing something crazy or three of them are doing something crazy. But it's just a bummer in general. Like if you mm-hmm. like basketball, like all of us do, like if, if someone was to ask us before the heat game, hey, you have the option to press the KD hurts his MCL and is out for a month button. Like, I'm not going to press it, probably. Um, yeah. Like, yeah, probably. Probably not going to press it. And, um, yeah, it's just a weird spot. Yeah, I might press the, like, ankle soreness out for the game button if, yeah, if yeah, given the opportunity. Uh, but, yeah, certainly don't want to see anyone injured for any period no. of time, um, especially a person as fun to watch or a player as fun to watch as KD. Guys, we're going to move on to, uh, I think we've already answered three of these, but the, the name of the segment is The Biggest Questions on the Minds of Celtics Fans. Question one was, should Rob start and play more minutes? And I think we've all sort of established that the fan base in general has established their thoughts on that felt like the, the general <laughs> consensus is like, yeah, we want to see him start, but we want to keep those minutes limited heading into yeah. the playoffs. So anything else you want to Agreed. add there or can we move on? Well, to, to quote the great, the great Joe from this podcast, the, the games are won <laughs> and lost in the third quarter. Um, it is nice to have Rob out there because it's like, I, I kind of miss seeing those games where we were up like 14 to two um, and we're just kind of obliterating teams out the gate because I feel like, you know, real good analysis, like, Sets you up really well for the rest of the game when, like, you know, you've demoralized the other team for the first five minutes of the game. Um, so, yeah, from that perspective, I kind of I kind of like Rob in the starting lineup, but it's like, okay, now where do we find that extra rest in order for him to close? It's just a tricky one. I'm going to move on, if that's okay. Question yeah, no, number I, two, I the, one, the one that we haven't <laughs> touched on at all in this particular podcast is should we trade Peyton Pritchard and pieces for a wing or a big Spoonie, what do you think? <laughs> so I I can see both sides of the argument in that Brogdon injury prone, uh, smart. We're seeing it right now. He always pick up picks up knickknacks throughout the season, but um, ultimately, Smart didn't play, and Peyton Pritchard played three minutes tonight. Yeah. Yep. So if you're not going to play him 15 minutes when one of these guys is, is out, then you might as well just trade him because it, it'll be better for him. You're just like doing him wrong by sit, chaining him to the bench at this point. So yeah, if he's not going to play at all and look, Hey, in the playoffs, we're screwed anyway, if two of these guards are out. So, you know, Pritchard's not going to save us there as well. So you might as well go get a wing that can take some of the load off the Jays. I think there's definitely some targets out there. We've, we've talked about a few of them on a couple pods, a few pods back, but um, yeah, I, I, at this point, I think I'm for it, even though three weeks ago, I wasn't. Go on, Ben. Well, yeah, I think I'm for it as well. As much as I love a PP insertion mid-game, um, <laughs> I just think, yeah, the, the, you've put it in our run sheet here, so I, I don't want to tread too much on your on your toes here, Jake, but we're win now, oh. despite the, the relative yeah. youth of our roster. We're looking to win now because these windows can close at any time. And Pritchett, maybe Gallo, by, by far our biggest tradable trade chips, unless you want to start you know, looking at swinging for the fences for, for a bigger name, these are guys that we can ship out at little impact to how we play on a game-to-game basis and try to bring something in that could be impactful. And I know I said that Sam Hauser is poised for a comeback, but <laughs> it's that wing spot to relieve the Jays, particularly if we see an injury to either Jay for a, a significant stretch of time. That's what I'm worried about. Gallo you know, w- was going to come in and, and, and address that, but obviously he got injured himself before we even got going. Uh, so now I'd like to see a piece come in in exchange for Pritchard who can help us out there. 
Uh, and we have, like you said, Spoonie, talked about that on previous pods. We're going to hit that more as we approach the trade deadline. Jake, anything you want to add there? Yeah, like it's a tricky one because on one hand, I'm like, what realistically, is there something we're going to realistically bring back that is going to help us win a title? Um, and that's that's what Brad Stevens kind of needs to figure out. And I do think there are those little pieces um, that can help, um, you know, Javonte Greens, the guys we've kind of spoken about. Um, but yeah, you can't get precious about someone like that if you're not going to play him. Like there, there is no, like there are no other great NBA teams right now. There is no team that's like currently in the league this year that we're going to look back on in um, 10, 20 years. It's like, oh my God, the, the 2022-23 Grizzlies. It's like that, that team doesn't exist in the NBA this year. It's like this, it's the Celtics. The healthy Celtics are the best team. <clears throat> so you need to make um, any moves that are going to help you get to the line. Um, and if you're watching the main Celtics highlights, JD being like as good as Pritchard, I mean, is as much as I love Pritchard, I think he actually can find a role in this league. I'm like, I don't, I'm not super worried about the talent leaving the building. Um, and you know, in a couple of years, being like, oh, we, sh- we should have held on to Peyton Pritchard. Um, yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of in team trade if like if something actually helpful comes up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd love to see more JD minutes as well if we do open up a guard spot there. Like let's let's see it. He is like the main Celtics, by the way. I don't know their record. I just I follow them on Instagram and see their post game yeah. results. They appear to be dominating, which is I think they are, yeah. yeah. I think they're killing it. Which is obviously not to say that JD's gonna come in and we're gonna see the same level of domination. That's obviously not the case, but you know, maybe <laughs> who knows? Um <laughs> Brad Stevens, man. He's running he's ro- top to bottom. Top to bottom. It's a it's a it's a system, it's a machine. Absolutely. Uh, now, look, final question here, and it leans heavily on a Wayne Spoonie tweet, uh, and that is, is it time to look at the rotations? Again, maybe this has been answered because Spoonie, as you mentioned, that was addressed in the rotations in this game, but you've posted a screenshot here of just how effective the Tatum and Brogdon combination is um, compared to the the Brown and Brogdon combination. I, like I just said, like it, this is only one game, but this was addressed more so in this particular game. Do you think that's going to be something we see permanently going forward? I, I, I have, I don't know. Joe is <laughs> keeping me on my toes, man. He really is. Like it just, I, I don't, I, I think he has a plan, but I really do think like Brad used to drive us nuts because one night Tyler Zeller would play 35 minutes oh, and then God. the next night he'd yes. play 10 or something <laughs> like that. And just like, this is madness. Why is David Lee starting tonight, Brad? What is going on? So I think Joe has a lot of that in him where he's like, I'm just going to keep putting stuff out there, see what works. And then I bet you in March or late February, we really start to see those like nail down at this minute, you come in for this guy at this minute, you come in for this guy, you know, that really nailed on rotation. Like we got from Ime in the second half of the season last year. But for now I have absolutely no idea. He might yank both the Jays and bring in Brogdon at the six minute mark next game. Who knows? <laughs> yeah. Again, I, I I want him to throw stuff at the wall. It's like one of my favorite things about Brad, Brad Stevens. It's like, you just never going to, you never know unless you try. Um, it does make sense to me that Tatum and Brogdon. This is this is also a tricky part of these stats. It's like Tatum and anyone tends to have like pretty good, pretty good numbers. Um, but it does make sense to me that Tatum and Brogdon make sense because Tatum's creating like much better advantages for Brogdon to attack than Jalen is. Like he's Jalen's not getting the ball to Brogdon as cleanly as as Tatum is. It's usually um, after Jalen's gotten into trouble and not kind of as you know, Tatum's manipulated the defense purposefully to get Brogdon like a, a good driving lane or an open catch and shoot three. Um, it does make sense though that like unlocking Brogdon and tying that to Tatum makes sense just because of how much like Brogdon has this this ability to like kind of go nuclear uh, and give you like 10, 15 point quarters. And I think tying him to Tatum gives you a better chance of seeing some of that stuff. So I'd probably give that more of a go. Yeah, even if it lifts him out of his apparent funk, because one of the yeah. very early trends that didn't last long this season was like, oh, we no longer need to worry about you know not having Tatum out there because we've got Brogdon as a stabilizer who can come out there and run the show a little bit with the bench with the help of you know Jalen and maybe Derek White, but we could give these longer rests to Tatum and not have to feel you know too too concerned about what that looked like. 
yeah, like you say, maybe we can bring Tatum and Brogdon together to help lift him out of that funk and then retransition him back to that role. Guys, we're going to move on to a bit of meaningless banter to wrap the show up here. Scal and Perk ran the commentary team against uh, during the San Antonio game the other day. This ruffled some feathers among the fan base. Um, Spoonie is laughing. Jake is shaking his head. So oh we're going to go to Jake Lord. here. I want to get this reaction. Uh, what, what, are your, what were your thoughts on, on this performance, if you want to call it that, from Scal and Perk? <laughs> Oh man, I switched to the Spurs broadcast until like the second quarter. <laughs> yeah. I, I was <laughs> like, are they, gonna talk, are they going to talk about the game once? I don't like, why is, did Tatum get a technical? Like, what, like, is, what is going on? I need, like, what is happening in the game? Please, please, for the love of God, talk about the NBA <laughs> basketball game that's happening in front of your eyes. Um, yeah, I didn't, didn't like it. Maybe if they can like corral them into actually doing the job, it could, it could be better. But Scala's play-by-play in has been so bad, so bad. It's so bad. Yeah, it's fun for a quarter, maybe two. Yeah, but it's like a close game, and Tatum busts a dribble move, and Perk's just like, ugh, ugh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What is going on? What is happening right under now? the table here? <laughs> yeah. so I, I think like for the first quarter, I actually enjoy it and think it's fun. And then it's like, all right, uh, where's Mike or bring Grandy oh up from, yeah. from media row or wherever he's at calling the game with Maxwell. Yeah. I do yeah, I think like, that, like, yeah, go sorry, ahead. go ahead, Jake. I was like, like Z gamer in the chat. Like it reminds me of the Manning cast. Like if that's a separate option. Yeah. Like if I, like, if it's like a chill game and we're up by 20 and or, or it's a preseason game or whatever, it's like more of a podcast vibe than sure, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't think there's much that I could add to what you guys have said. Like, I think the general consensus is that it just wasn't, wasn't good at all. I do think that like Scal obviously knows the game and he has some really good stretches where I genuinely find what he has to offer helpful in, in helping me understand the game. The problem is that it doesn't, hasn't gelled well with anyone that they've partnered him with so far. <laughs> and, you know, he's been with some greats like Gorman and Grandi and it's beginning to speak more to Scal's deficiencies as a broadcaster, I think, than anyone else that we can't find anyone to gel uh, with him. And then, you know, everyone knows what Kendrick Perkins is about, so nothing to add there. <laughs> um, I did pose the question, though, guys. We'll start yeah. with you, Spoonie. What would be your dream, like, Celtic-centric commentary lineup? Um, well, let's go with past players. Obviously, we're not going to get current okay. players to call their own game. Although, if you want to go there, we can, I suppose. Ah man, I I <laughs> honestly didn't see this when I looked at the run sheet, so I have nothing prepared. So if Jake, if you have something off the top of your head, please jump well, jump in. The tricky the tricky part I think is like who is going to be the play by play guy. That's the like, that's I think, the problem because even Gorman, like as soon as the pregame started, his t- yes, he's forgetting like who Demar Derozan is at times today, but like his cadence and timing is. So, so, so good. Just the way that it's like Tatum, pause for two. It's just like versus like Scal's like Tatum dribbling around. Oh, it's like, oh, you don't, you don't need to just do less. Just do less as the play-by-play guy, like mm-hmm. pretty straightforward. Um, but as a, as a color guy replacement, Evan Turner is a guy comes yes. to mind who would be unreal. I think you might have to get the beeps ready to go um, with Turner. But um, I think he'll be awesome. Yeah, Evan Turner. I feel he'd be a pretty good sideline reporter as well. Yeah. I think just cut to ET down on the sideline for his weird little insights. I had uh, <laughs> I had Rondo and KG as mine with Rondo doing the play by play, which he, you know it's going to come off a little dry. But he knows ball, and I think that he uh, personality wise is reeled in enough to like not lay down too much of a thick personality on it and just keep it about the game. And then, like, completely conversely to that, KG is just going to, like, come in a little bit like Tommy Heinsohn with just, like, these ridiculous oh contrarian God. takes and anti-ref, you know, uh, banter. I-, I think that'd potentially be a really good <laughs> duo. The likeliness or likelihood of getting those guys together in any capacity in, in-, in that sense, uh, extremely un- unlikely. So, never going to happen, K- but I think it'd be KG good. on the broadcast would last 
half a quarter before they had Just to pull the He would show up at yeah. TD Garden and drag him out of there. He would the broadcast be so much, truck just unplugs yeah. itself yeah. and just drives yeah. away. Like, go, go, go. Yeah. Yeah. This is why you need like the, the R-rated channel for KG. Like, yeah. It would be so, so amazing. Um, man, but like, obviously Brad Stevens is quite busy, but I feel like he would have the patience and the cadence for, for a good play-by-play. Um, yeah, you, yeah, I, yeah. A play-by-play guy is like that's just such a wildly different profession than yeah. an NBA basketball player. Like, mm-hmm. I can't like maybe CJ McCollum is like the only Ooh. guy I could see right now in the NBA who might be a play-by-play. But like, I can't think of an ex-player that's yeah. a play-by. It's all like you know Syracuse journalism school kids, yeah. right? Yeah. Even um, I, even even before seeing the question that Ben put in there, like I had tweeted, like I want like. When it's Gorman's time, like there's no one's popped up that's been actually good, as we've said. But like, <laughs> oh, I, I love Grandy. So do I. You're not a big, yeah, I absolutely love Grandy. A- he needs to realize he's not on the radio, so he doesn't have to be so explanatory. That's, but I think once he settles in, he'll be awesome. I think that's the combo that, that I'm struggling with. Like, if there was like solid play by play plus Grandy, then I think that I would be, I would be in on it. Um, what I, what I want Wick to do is find Boston's Iron Eagle. Like, there's got to be some, like, it doesn't have to be from Boston necessarily. Um, there's got to be someone, like, Brad Stevens, like, you, you know, you're getting your Brad Stevens recruiting hat on. There's got to be some broadcaster, some kid somewhere that's, like, absolutely awesome at this. Like, someone, some kid that's doing, like, the UMass games or something. Or like, I bet you. No. No? You, you, you would know better <laughs> than me. All right. Um, uh, you know, so, but there's got to no, be maybe, some kid yeah. somewhere that's, like. That just has the has the cadence. Hopefully, has a cool voice. But yeah, throw the bag at Mike Breen. Oh yes, please. God, oh, yeah, I love Breen. Kevin yeah, Holland, yeah. I would take as well. Uh, just love the volume <laughs> and explosiveness there. But look, there's a, a lot of spicy combinations out there. Whether it's combining no media personnel with known players or vice versa. Let us know your thoughts in the comments, either on YouTube or Celtics blog. Thoughts on on that segment or anything we've talked about in this podcast. Guys, that is going to do it for this one. Thank you so much for tuning in. Our buddies over at Green with Envy, they'll be back with another pod on this feed early Thursday morning. We'll be back to close out the week on Friday night-ish. Until then, Spoonie, <laughs> Jake, love your work, guys. Thanks again. Thanks, Ben. See you, mate. All right, guys. Go Celtics. Peace. Peace.